Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Strecker. In 1971, the twin sister of the Shah of Iran presented a copy of an artifact to the United Nations. The object was a replica of a baked clay cylinder that dates to approximately 539 BCE, and it's about the size of a rolling pin. The cuneiform script that covers the Cyrus Cylinder, as it is now called, describes how the Persian king Cyrus the Great invaded Babylon, defeated the local monarch Nabonidus, and installed himself as a new ruler, and supposedly laid down a charter of human rights for the various people in his domain. Uh, upon receiving this gift from Iran, the Secretary General, Situ Utant, whose name I'm probably mispronouncing, he praised the Cyrus Cylinder as, quote, an ancient declaration of human rights, unquote. Uh, the replica of the cylinder was displayed at the United Nations near a copy of the world's oldest known peace treaty. In 2003, Shirin Abadi received the Nobel Peace Prize, and Abadi is an Iranian attorney who has advocated for the rights of women, children, and refugees, and I hope that none of what follows uh, is construed as disparaging to her personally. And in her acceptance speech, she said the following. She said, quote, I am an Iranian, a descendant of Cyrus the Great, the very emperor who proclaimed at the pinnacle of power 2,500 years ago that he would not reign over the people if they did not wish it. And he promised not to force any person to change his religion and faith and guaranteed freedom for all. The Charter of Cyrus the Great is one of the most important documents that should be studied in the history of human rights, unquote. Similarly, in 2006, George W. Bush also invoked the Persian monarch. Bush praised Cyrus the Great for declaring that people, quote, had a right to worship God in freedom, unquote. Unfortunately, though, a United States Secretary General, a Nobel laureate, and an American president, they were all quite mistaken about the nature of Cyrus's doctrine and the text on the Cyrus Cylinder. Cyrus the Great, he was an ancient monarch, and while he was progressive for his time, his laws and doctrine were not anything like an early copy of a Bill of Rights. Uh, proclamations such as the one on the Cyrus Cylinder were not uncommon in the ancient world. Here's what happened. Uh, Cyrus, like many other historical monarchs, he was perfectly happy with invading and conquering his neighbors, which included ancient Babylon. Cyrus rolled into Babylon and defeated the local king, Nebuchadnezzar. And immediately after that, a propaganda and PR blitz followed, vilifying the old boss and burnishing the new one. The Cyrus Cylinder is a document that reviles Nebuchadnezzar, the old king, the guy that Cyrus pushed out of power, and exalts the current conqueror. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and his legitimacy, they're constantly disparaged throughout the text, and Cyrus, he's constantly exalted. And one of the main ways, probably the main way, that Cyrus, or rather a scribe or a priest writing on Cyrus's behalf, uh, disparages Nabonidus is by pointing out that the old king closed the temples of a popular god called Marduk in favor of a new deity, uh, a moon god called Sin, which is a cool name for a moon deity. Cyrus, wanting to gain the favor to locals whose land he had just conquered, allowed the temples of the popular old god to be reopened. And the move had everything to do with politics, with placating the local populace, and far less to do with anything like idealism or a core belief in freedom of religion. The text on the cylinder does not proclaim the universal rights that we conceive of in a modern democracy. It is not an ancient First Amendment, as it has often been called. 
Uh, here's the relevant part of it that could be misinterpreted. Quote, My vast troops, that is, Cyrus's were vast troops, were marching peaceably in Babylon, and the whole of Sumer and Akkad had nothing to fear. I sought the safety of the city of Babylon and all of its sanctuaries. As for the population of Babylon, who, as if without divine intention, had endured a yoke not decreed for them, I soothed their weakness. I freed them from their bonds. Marduk, the great lord, rejoiced at my good deeds. Unquote. So basically what he's saying here is that he and his army just happened to be walking through ancient Babylon and, oh, whoopsie-daisy, they kind of stumble on the city and they have a fight. And while they're at it, hey, he makes friends with Marduk, the local deity, and he decides to restore his temples. Uh, going on, quote again, from every quarter, the upper sea to the lower sea, those who inhabit remote districts, and the kings of the land of Amaru who live in tents, all of them, brought their weighty tribute into Shuana and kissed my feet. From Shuana, I sent back the places to the city of Asher and Susa, Akkad, the land of Eshuna, and the city of Zamban, the city of Metuner, Dur, as far as the border of the land of Guti, the sanctuaries across the river Tigris, whose shrines had earlier become dilapidated. So basically what he's saying here is that there's a lot of places where the shrines had not been kept up, and he is bringing it back. He's fixing them up again. Going back to uh, the Texas Cylinder. The gods who lived therein and made permanent sanctuaries for them, I collected together all of their people and returned them to their settlements. And the gods of the land of Sumer and Akkad, which Nabonidus, to the fury of the lord of the gods, had brought into Shuana at the command of Marduk, the great lord, I returned them unharmed to their cells in the sanctuaries that make them happy. May all the gods I return to their sanctuaries every day before Bel and Nabu ask for a long life for me and mention my good deeds and say to Marduk, my lord, this, Cyrus, the king who fears you, and Cambyses, his son, may they be provisioners of our shrines until distant days and the population of Babylon call blessings upon my kingship. I have enabled all the lands to live in peace. Unquote. So, basically what he's saying is that lots of gods, lots of idols have been taken as plunder, moved around, put in places where they shouldn't have been, their shrines were not okay, but he's making it all okay. And again, he's doing this for political reasons, it seems, as part of, you know, playing into the emotions and playing into the wants and the politics of the people that he just conquered, not because of idealism. Any more rights, such as, you know, freedom of speech or assembly or that kind of thing, they're considered an inherent thing that all humans have regardless. People have their rights because they have their rights. Human beings are considered an end in and of themselves. It is the government's job to not take them away. Rights are, to use an American term, inalienable. You have them because you're a human being, and so do all other human beings. The Cyrus Cylinder does not see rights in that way. The scribe who wrote the script is talking of religious liberty, and it's a real stretch to say that he's talking about religious liberty, as a modern person would understand it, as something that the king gives to a people. The right to worship as one pleases is portrayed as an example of monarchical benevolence, not something that's inalienable or inherent. So Cyrus opened temples, and he also freed slaves, because it was politically expedient, and it was a demonstration of his generosity, not a demonstration of any belief about humanity. 
And one of the weird turns of this story is that a fake translation of DeCyrus Cylinder has circulated throughout the internet, and this is a fake translation of this ancient document that is maybe what Shir Nabadi or Shah of Iran or George W. Bush wanted the Cylinder to say. Here's a fake. Quote, I announce that I will respect the traditions, customs, and religions of the nations of my empire and never let any of my governors and subordinates look down on or insult them as long as I shall live. From now on, while Ahuru Mazda lets me rule, I will impose my monarchy on no nation. Each is free to accept it, and if any one of them rejects it, I shall never resolve on war to reign. Unquote. Unfortunately, that is a fabrication. It just bubbled up onto the internet, the product of some unknown author who wished that the past was a little nicer. In my view of things, there are three major reasons why the Cyrus Cylinder has been very, very widely misinterpreted by some extraordinarily high-profile people. The first is that it suited the Shah's purposes in the 1970s to legitimize his monarchical rule by saying that he came from a long list of just, merciful, and righteous kings. And by pointing to a Persian king as the wellspring of human rights, the Shah was able to fashion himself as something of a continuation of a just and goodly tradition, rather than the brutal ruler that he really was. Secondly, the Cyrus Cylinder seems to, and I want to emphasize seems to, corroborate biblical accounts of the ancient Israelites being freed from the Babylonian captivity. There is no mention of the Israelites in the text of the Cylinder. Uh, but anyone who wants to buttress the historical claims of the Bible with hard archaeological or historical evidence could look to the cylinder as kind of, sort of, maybe potential corroborating evidence. But you got to kind of stretch to do that. I alluded to this earlier. The main thing, I think, that uh, causes widespread interpretation of this document, this artifact, is that we want to see ourselves in the past. It is completely reasonable to want to look to your ancestors and find something that you are proud of. To look to the past and think, I come from that, and I also feel good about that. Nobody wants to find out that their grandmother was a racist, or that their great-grandfather was a war criminal, or that some of their ancestors owned slaves. Instead, when we look to the past, we want to see ourselves. And the misinterpretation of the Cyrus Cylinder can let a modern person do that with the ancient world. We can squint, and we can try to see our own values if we wish. However, such a vision of the past is an illusion. Our ancestors are not us, and we are not them. And the values of the past are not the same as the values of the present. And the thinking of the past, and the politics of the past, that is not the same as the thinking or the politics of the present. The past is fascinating. It also, and will always, be alien.